In our role as a leader, is working hard the most important trait to be successful? This week's guest, Dan Krynas, shares how he went through a tough experience as an administrator to learn his greatest lesson, which went much further than just working hard. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Dan, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. I've, I've been a, a big fan of the Aspire podcast for a while, so it's great to actually be a guest and, and come on and contribute. Yeah, we've been in the same boxer group for over a year now, for sure, and you have quite the story. So as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and today I'd love to hear about your leadership journey. Yeah, um, it's it's been quite the journey, and it's definitely not over yet. You know, I, I feel like it's a continual journey that I've been on for much of my career. You know, I guess I'll take you back to as I was wrapping up the fourth year of my career as a classroom teacher. I was an eighth grade ELA teacher in the Bronx, New York. Mm-hmm. And my, well, well, first of all, my school had an opening uh, for a, it was sort of a, an interventionist and coaching position combined. And my administration felt like I would do a good job with it. And so I I jumped into that role after just four years in the classroom. And it it really started opening up my eyes to what the adult learning part of things really looked like and and how um, I needed to approach adult learning, even maybe a little bit differently than student learning. And uh, so I think I, I started to get my feet wet at that point for a couple of years. That position was cut. I went back into the classroom for a little bit, but I never really lost that that passion. So a few years later, uh, I switched states and, and now I was in Connecticut and uh, I was able to become an instructional coach and get back to that adult learning. And I haven't really looked back too much since. It's been a big part of my, like you said, my leadership journey is really, I guess, making that transition from being a lead inside my own classroom to actually being a a building leader and an instructional leader. And, and I really do take that seriously. I was actually just sharing this on a, a live stream I did recently about like, what's my reason for doing what I do? And, you know, I don't think it's wrong. I might be a little biased or a little selfish in saying this. I don't think it's wrong that at least for me, my focus shifted, you know, it's still all about the kids. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want to see kids grow and and achieve, you know, their maximum potential. But for me, that means really working with adults more so than students at this point. And so I think that leadership journey has, has taken me on that path toward really trying to inspire the adults, the, the other educators that I work with, so then they can in turn inspire their own students. So in your journey, as you transition from working with students to now working with adults, what are the biggest differences between the two? Man, I, I think probably the biggest difference is that is that teachers sort of have the ability, if you will, to like fight back more, <laughs> not fight, not literally, but you know, like to be more resistant and reluctant. And, you know, I, I have spent quite a lot of time literally researching, you know, teacher resistance and, and resistance to change. And it's inspired me as an instructional leader, as an instructional coach to understand why teachers may put up some some walls and and barriers and and essentially have that fixed mindset versus a growth mindset where uh, they're reluctant to 
try new things, take risks in their classrooms, take risks with their students. And I just, I honestly, as challenging as it can be sometimes uh, with the adults, you know, some, a lot of people joke that like teachers make the worst students and and I'm not going to go ahead and say that myself, although I don't know, maybe it's true. Um, (laughs) I just, I, I don't know. I guess that's what, what drives me is to work with those teachers, whether they be the most reluctant teacher or the least, you know, it's awesome to have teachers who are willing to do whatever it takes and be those early adopters and the ones who have no problem taking risks, but they're, I don't want to say they're few and far between, but you know, you only get a handful of them every once in a while. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's kind of what, what fuels me in the work that I do is, is just really trying to inspire teachers to do what's right and what's best for their kids and, and just keep iterating and adopting new strategies and just trying new things when, uh, when you know that your students are going to be changing, you know, so to do your instructional strategies. When you're in the classroom and possibly see something that could be changed with a teacher and you start having those conversations and you find that they are reluctant to what you're saying, what are some strategies that you use to change the mindset? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the teachers who do put up those walls, it, it usually has a lot to do with the fact that they are they're fearful, not of change per se, but of either letting go of too much control. A lot of teachers are also kind of control freaks. And it's obvious sometimes that teachers are afraid of turning too much control over to their students, especially, I mean, I work at a middle school level. Mm-hmm. And I also like when I started teaching, I had a coach tell me this this phrase over and over, avoid the void, meaning like any little opportunity that your students may have in the classroom to kind of break down your lesson and and like chaos will ensue, like they're going to take that opportunity. And so it's not about fearing the control. But I guess to answer your question, like if, if there is pushback there from a teacher, it's probably not that they are just so unwilling to try something new, or maybe take a suggestion that you've given them as much as it is, they're just a little bit afraid of giving up too much control, or they're afraid of failing, basically, they're afraid of looking like anything but the expert in the classroom. And so I think with teachers like that, it's uh, it's really trying to convince them that it's okay to take risks like that. And it's even okay to fail in front of your students because we want to make sure that they know it's okay for them to fail sometimes too and to learn from mistakes and that teaching as much as, as it is an art form, it's not a perfect science. And definitely have some tricks up my sleeve, I think, for, for doing that. But I think at the end of the day, just really helping teachers understand, like, let's take some baby steps. You know, we're not going to like dive into the deep end right away, but take some baby steps, take it slow. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. We'll try something else. But I think the, the most important thing to be able to do that too, as a coach, uh, and even as an administrator, I, I've had some experience as an administrator as well. And, you know, just letting the teacher take the lead. And I know that sometimes that's a little difficult in like a formal, a formal evaluation uh, process, but um, really listening and, and coaching from the standpoint of hearing from the teacher what the teacher feels they need to make their students stronger. So you talked about an instructional coach giving you some wisdom. And so in your career, what was the most impactful advice you received that positively transformed you as a leader? Well, that was great advice, uh, you know, as a classroom teacher. Mm -hmm. 
I think really the best advice I ha- I'd have to say as far as an instructional leader and an instructional coach is just really be a good listener. I, I read the book not too long ago, The Coaching Habit, mm-hmm. and that's so much of what that book talked about is just how to listen and how to just ask questions and then ask more questions. And when you're done asking those, ask even more questions to really, like I said before, like let the teacher or, or whoever you're trying to coach lead the process. It's, it's their, you know, it's, it's their classroom. Those students are their students for that year or however long they have them for. And so they're, the teacher is the one who should really be at the forefront of their own learning and their own growth. When you started your leadership experience, which skills were the most difficult to develop? Man, that's a great question. I think I would probably have to say just communication in general and communication in the sense that you have to really understand the role that you're in. As an instructional coach now and and when I've done it in the past, it, it is sort of that middle ground between classroom teacher and administrator. I think just about anyone who is in this kind of role will tell you the same thing. And that's a difficult position to be in because of people's perspective, right? And, and so I think that when I, when I answer your question by saying communication, I think you have to understand the role that you're in and understand people's perception of you and of your role in order to really understand how to communicate with them. I'll tell you a quick story. I stepped out of the classroom and into a coaching role overnight. This goes back a few years. And the teacher literally that I worked in the classroom next to, I I don't even remember all the details. I sent out some kind of an email to sort of reintroduce myself to the staff as, hey, now I'm a coach and I'd love to come into your classroom and give you a little bit of feedback on you know what you're doing. And the teacher who worked next door to me was like, yeah, absolutely not. Sent me like a nasty email back. He, and he was he was like, look, you can come in my class, but you're not giving me feedback. I don't need your coaching and blah, blah, blah. And long story short, after a really, really great sit down conversation I had with this one on one, you know, and I, I explained like what I think I I'm trying to do with this new role of mine. And he was like, all right, I see what you're doing. And here's how I think I could help. Um, it wasn't a week that went by before he was actually reaching out to me to ask for help with some stuff he was doing in his classroom. And so uh, I think that was sort of a wake up call, like right off the bat that I do need to, I don't want to say be careful, but I do need to really take my communication with other teachers really seriously and put a lot of thought into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad you had a story about that because being an administrator myself, when I first got in that role, as soon as I walked into a classroom, you could feel just the air changed. Not to say that they were put on a show, but it just looked like they thought of me as an evaluator and not someone who was trying to help them become better at their craft. So I'm glad that you provided some strategies there in regards to how you overcame that, because I think there's a a level of trust that needs to be built. So in your role, what are some characteristics that you believe an instructional coach should have to be successful in their role? I think the biggest one is if, if you're going to be really any sort of instructional leader, uh, and, and, and this would be great for classroom teachers as well, but I think instructional leaders more than anything need to embody and model the idea of being a lifelong learner. And so I think someone who is an instructional coach and is looking to push teachers maybe even out of their comfort zone when it comes to some new instructional strategies, techniques, technologies, 
then the coach or the instructional leader themselves need to be pushing themselves to learn more and, and try and stay on the forefront and uh, the front lines on you know, the, the newest strategies, the best practices, the newest technologies. And, and that's not to say that coaches need to know it all. Uh, that is definitely not what I'm saying, but to just not stop learning. I, I think one of the things that has worked well for me over the years is to, to model that for teachers. And it, you know, it kind of goes back to sometimes what teachers say about when students ask them questions in the classroom that they don't know. It's okay to say like, you know what? I don't really know that, but I'm always learning things and I would love to learn. Another short story here, I had a teacher one time uh, at a previous school reach out to me. I was an instructional coach and the teacher said, Dan, I could really use your help. I've been looking into this thing called layered curriculum and like, I really want to try it out. Dude, I didn't even know what layered curriculum was. <laughs> and, and at first I felt really like, you know, lost and, and I felt like I, I couldn't do my job properly because I'm like, how am I supposed to help this teacher mm -hmm. with something I know nothing about? But I learned a lot about it and, uh, and I helped him with it. And I helped a couple other teachers with it. And even when I actually got the opportunity to go back into my own classroom for a few months last year, I, because I learned so much about that strategy, I used it with my own students and in my own classroom. So uh, I, I guess that's my point. You know, it's, it's okay not to know everything, but as long as you are setting the tone for that lifelong learning, you're, you know that you're going to go out and learn whatever you can to support the teachers you're working with. I think that really does go a long way. Yeah. And I love how you were vulnerable in that moment. So since we're talking about possible times where we failed, what is maybe one trial or failure you experienced that created the most growth as an instructional coach? Yeah. So I've talked about this a little bit on my podcast and a couple other podcasts too, and I'll share it here. So last year, I just mentioned I was put back in the classroom for a few months. My instructional coach position had been cut again, but at a different school. Uh, so that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes those are the first positions to get cut. And I understood that. It didn't make it easy, but I understood it. You know, because I was looking to keep going on my leadership journey, I took a position as an administrator in a district in New York for, for most of last year. And it definitely had its ups and downs, a lot of lots of bumps on the road, personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. uh, there was some stuff on a personal level that I was dealing with that unfortunately kind of took me away from my work, but I really tried and, and it wasn't easy because I took over right around now, right around this time in the school year. So like right around the, the holiday time, I know this episode won't come out until uh, in the new year, but so let's say I was just starting out, you know, like before Christmas time. And so pretty much right now, and, and that's tough to come into a new school in a new role midway through the year and not be given a whole lot of time to, uh, you know, to, to really establish yourself. Yeah. And I still maintain that there wasn't a lot that I did wrong. But essentially, at the end of the school year, uh, the feelings were kind of mutual that uh, that the other principal and assistant principal thought it would be, it would be best if I moved on, and again it stung a little bit, but I realized that that it was probably for uh, in my best interest as yeah. well. So I left that school on a Monday, and I was hired at uh, my new school as an instructional coach on Tuesday, the next day. So <laughs> it, it honestly it worked out really well, but. I, 
I guess when all is said and done and I look back on it, uh, I do consider it a failure because, you know, I, I did not, I, I, I worked so hard. I felt like I, I had worked so hard for the first 13 years of my career to get to uh, an administrative position, a position that I thought I was well suited for. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so for it not to have worked out for more than eight months, it was disappointing. But what I learned from it, definitely learned a valuable lesson, is that sometimes it's not necessarily about how well or lack thereof you do a job. It's about being a good fit. I felt like I was a very good fit at the school because I had a, I know that I had a lot of teachers who respected me. Mm -hmm. And like you said a minute ago, when you're an administrator, sometimes teachers get really... I don't know, uncomfortable, right? Yeah. With you in the room. I thought that I was starting to make a lot of headway with teachers feeling comfortable with me being in the room and, and using the evaluation practice as an opportunity to coach them and work with them and try and, you know, push them to better themselves as educators and as instructors and as leaders. But I wasn't, I, I just wasn't that kind of fit on the administrative team. And so I guess, like I said, the lesson in all of that was sometimes it's just a matter of being the right fit and I wasn't it. That's a hard lesson to learn, but a valuable one. Yeah. So Dan, you have been working so hard. You are now about to get your doctorate and you're working on your dissertation. I just want to know about your dissertation, what you've been working on. I know it has something to do with growth mindset, but I am so interested in just learning about all of the hard work that you've done. Well, the dissertation, I guess, the, the formal Part of the research and the writing has been about a year, but the whole process uh, from start to finish will probably be about three and a half years. Yeah. You know, from from day one when I started taking classes to the last day when I defend my dissertation and, mm -hmm. and submit it. But um, no, I appreciate you bringing it up. So we've already talked about some of the stuff that I've been really interested in studying and, and researching. Things like um, being an instructional leader and supporting teachers and helping them through what could be some resistance and, and some hesitation uh, when it comes to changing. And so I've studied and, and conducted my own research, the link between uh, what's known as transformational leadership practices. Uh, so what is it that school-based administrators are doing to inspire a growth mindset in classroom teachers? You know, so I, I studied leaders who self-admittedly through a survey that I gave said, yes, I do use transformational leadership. And so my role in my research was to figure out basically how are they using their, their leadership practices to inspire a growth mindset? Um, how do they choose which practices even to use? And then basically, um, how do they think that it's actually affecting the mindsets of the, the teachers that they're supporting, that they're leading. Mm -hmm. Dan, I always love providing leaders with examples of practical strategies and initiatives. So what is one initiative you've implemented on your campus or at the district level that you're extremely proud of? Yeah, it's another good one because it's pretty timely. I just started this. Uh, again, I'm, I'm in a new school this year. Uh, I've, I've done it a little bit in the past, but I think I've done it even better now is conducting learning walks mm -hmm. and facilitating a process of having teachers visit and learn from and learn with other teachers. You know, you asked before about like, how might you help teachers if they're a little resistant or reluctant? I'm not gonna lie, like when I brought the idea up and, and actually we, so I'm an instructional coach and we have a subject area leader and the two of us work really well together and, and we work hand in hand and she was the one basically who pitched the idea to 
the rest of the teachers. I actually wasn't even in the room at the time. I was doing a, a training for the social studies teachers at my school. And I, I guess I was wondering what sort of feedback I'd get from teachers. And, and I think there was some skepticism at first. So to ease their minds, my pitch, so to speak, my sales pitch was, look, I am so fortunate as an instructional coach and instructional leader that I can see because I come into all of your classrooms, I get to see, I have the, the great fortune of seeing what all of you guys are doing in your classrooms and you're doing some amazing things. I want to be able to provide that opportunity for you so that you can go see what other people are doing and hopefully get some ideas that you can bring back to your own classroom to make the teaching and learning better for you and your students. We haven't done too many of the learning walks, but the ones that we've done so far have been really great and, and I'd like to think pretty powerful and inspirational for the teachers who have taken part. So I want to talk about another project of yours. You are a fellow podcaster and you are the podcaster of Leader of Learning. And I just would love to hear about the origin story of that podcast and where it all came from. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to plug the show a little bit. So what I say in each episode of the podcast is where teachers can come get inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. And then I boil it down to the fact that I end each podcast episode by saying that no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning. Mm -hmm. So I guess a couple of things inspired that, you know, my love for instructional leadership, uh, as I've talked about throughout this episode. And I, I think, you know, as a fellow podcaster, you probably understand this. And I know that uh, some of the podcasters that we are friends with in the biz, in the business, uh, they kind of say the same thing. Like, I'm, I do so much writing. I think I'm a good writer, but I don't know that constantly and, and regularly maintaining a blog yes. was going to be the best way for me to share content. And so as I got more and more connected and as I got sort of that, that itch to try to inspire other educators out there in, in the world, you know, across the country, that was my way of saying, this is, this is how I'd like to share that, not through a blog or a web, just a website, but uh, using the podcast medium. And I've shared this before too. I actually have, uh, I had a short-lived broadcast radio career. I actually majored, my college major was journalism. And I got into some broadcasting and I was, believe it or not, a sports radio producer for a little while between college and getting into teaching. So um, I guess I wanted to combine my passion for education, my little bit of a short-lived career in broadcasting, mm -hmm. and my, my, my sort of my newfound passion for you know, creating content as well. In addition to your position as an instructional coach, I know that, like you said, you're a podcaster, you, you blog, and you're very active on social media. So how did you find your voice beyond your campus? So when I became an instructional coach, let's see, it was the first time I became an instructional coach. I'm trying to think of the year. It was like 2015. Although I was in a pretty small school, I was in the only instructional coach. And I was one of the only instructional coaches for the entire district, let alone the school. And... I have to be honest, the, the um, imposter syndrome started to creep in. And I said to myself, like, I'm one guy and my classroom experience is as an ELA teacher. How am I going to go about coaching all these other teachers in all these other content areas? Mm -hmm. And so it was right around that time where I realized that I needed to push myself to learn more and grow more. And when I did that, 
that that's when I started kind of feeling that that voice a little bit and and saying, you know what, I'd love to inspire obviously the teachers that I work with every day at my school, mm -hmm. but I wonder if I could take this even further as well. And so it was definitely in 2016 that I started really getting more and more connected on Twitter and on Voxer. Uh, 2017 was a, an amazing year for me. That's when I started the podcast. But even before that is when I started uh, attending and speaking at some conferences, including that that year was my first ISTE conference that I went to. Mm -hmm. uh, also, the, the year that I was named to uh, the ASCD Emerging Leaders Program. And so um, I, I think it's obvious that the two things go hand in hand that as I started to branch out and connect more uh, is really when, when I started finding that voice and started, you know, realizing that I could really, that I can make a bit of a difference out there and contribute to hopefully making educate the education field a, a better space for the teachers and the students. Yeah. Danny, in closing, for those who are potentially looking to be an instructional coach or just get in leadership in general, what are some ways that they can make an immediate impact? Well, first of all, I, I do mean what I say and I practice what I preach. And so, you know, going back to what I said a couple minutes ago on my podcast, when I say you are a leader of learning, no matter what role you have or what title you have, I do mean that. And classroom teachers are absolutely 100% leaders in their own right. Uh, and so I don't want anyone to think that they're not a leader just because they're quote unquote, a classroom teacher. But if you are looking to do more, whether it's in your own building, or whether it's, you know, like you and I do sharing some content out there, I think first and foremost, like like I mentioned a minute ago, like get over that imposter syndrome. You know, you you have so much to offer. I don't care whether you're a second year teacher or a 22nd year teacher. You have a lot to offer and and go ahead and share that. Um, and if it's a matter of trying to move up the leadership ladder in terms of a, a role, a position, a title that you're seeking, just I guess my, my advice is learn as much as you can about it so that you have that in mind in every step of the way, every decision you make, every instructional strategy that you implement, uh, any outs, you know, any role outside of your position that you take, um, just keep that in mind. Like if you are someone who wants to be an administrator, try and catch your administrator, I don't know, in the hallway or during a pre or post observation or some goal setting meeting you have and, and try and pick their brain a little bit. You know, it's, I think they would be flattered to be honest with you. I see yes. you nodding in your head. I think, <laughs> uh, you know, as an administrator, I would imagine that you'd be okay with that. Oh, for sure. I love those conversations. Honestly, I know some people are hesitant to even bring that up to an administrator, but yes, as one myself, I, I absolutely love those conversations. So Dan, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? The easiest way is to go to my website, leaderoflearning.com. You can definitely find all of my contact information there. Uh, but if you want to find me on social media, it's dcrinus everywhere, Twitter, Boxer, Instagram, uh, and Krinus is K-R-E-I-N-E-S-S. And definitely make sure that you're checking out his podcast. Again, that is on all platforms, but that's Leader of Learning. And Dan, I loved having you on the podcast, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate the opportunity. 
And before we end the show, I just want to say that I'm so excited to announce that the Aspire Podcast is now an official sponsor of Todd Nesloni's Celebrate Your Story event. If you're in Texas, this is going to be the ultimate PD event. Make sure you sign up soon. I know that there's not many tickets left. You can find the link and more details for this event in the show notes. I cannot wait to speak on aspiring leadership and meet everyone in attendance.